Once again, we hear the Old Testament reading from Psalm 50, verses 1 through 15. Brothers and sisters, this is the Word of God. The Mighty One, God the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. Our God comes. He does not keep silence. Before Him is devouring fire, around Him a mighty tempest. He calls to the heavens above and to the earth that He may judge His people. Gather to me my faithful ones who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. The heavens declare righteousness for God Himself is judge. Hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, I will testify against you. I am God, your God. Not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. Will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills, and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I will not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the goat blood of goats? Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High. And call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. The New Testament lesson from which our sermon comes is found in Hebrews chapter 1 verses 1 through 4. And you can find that on page 1001 of your pew Bibles. Once again, the New Testament lesson is found in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. This too is the Word of God. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name He has inherited is more excellent than theirs. The word of God so far, let us pray that God would bless the preaching of it. Heavenly Father, we do pray that you would bring your word home to us. Help us to understand our sin and our weakness through the law. And help us to understand your love for us and the grace that we enjoy through Jesus Christ in the gospel. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Congregation of Christ and Friends, no one knows who the author of Hebrews is or to whom he wrote. Most likely... He wrote to Jewish believers well acquainted with Greek culture and certainly the Old Testament. What we can gather, however, is that the author has written a letter that is much more like a sermon than a letter. That is, this person preaches to them about the priority of living for Christ. 
He exhorts them to keep the faith. And that exhortation is based in the person and the work of Christ himself. Directly related to this is the thrust of the first four verses of chapter 1. The author preaches that God speaks. God has spoken in the past, and he still speaks today. In both eras, eras, he speaks of Christ, but in the present day, the last days, he speaks of Christ more clearly because of Christ's finished work. Now many today say that God speaks to them or gives them impressions. But when God speaks, he speaks very clearly through the preaching of his word and he speaks about Christ, not personal impressions or opinions. And he does this for the comfort of his people. And that is the point of the sermon. God speaking in times past and in the present day means that God speaks primarily about Christ for the comfort of his people. In preaching, you must hear Christ speaking to you. So in the the sermon, first, it is foundational to understand that Christianity is a religion of the word. It is audible. Second, the priority of the spoken word becomes clearer over the course of the history of redemption. That is, the revelation of God is progressive. And third, Jesus Christ is the center of God's spoken word. So we begin with the biblical fact that Christianity is a religion of the word. We could say that primarily it is an auditory religion. Yes, it has visual aspects, but primarily it is an auditory religion. However, your impression from attending many churches today would not be that it is that. Uh, pictures, videos, PowerPoint, uh, these sorts of things become front and center. These things are done to uh, supposedly augment the word or to keep people's attention or to entertain them or whatever. Now why can you say with confidence that that is wrong, it is inappropriate? Well, because the scriptures argue that Christianity is a religion of the word. It is propagated primarily through preaching and people hearing that word. The primary and ultimate purpose of God's speech is to comfort God's people through the gospel. And then they walk by faith, as the author goes on to say in Hebrews chapter 11, not by sight. You walk by faith in things unseen. You believe in a God unseen. You hear a God that you cannot see. So notice how this is the, the, the pattern from the very beginning of time. God creates his, his uh, first couple, Adam and Eve. They're in the garden. And what does he do? He speaks to them. Yes, they see a uh, theophany of God that is a visible appearance of God, but the way in which God relates to them primarily is through his speech. So he speaks to them about the law. You can't eat of this tree in the day that you do you will die. He speaks the law to them. After the fall, he continues to speak the law to them in a condemning fashion, saying, you've broken the law, you're sinful. Then he speaks the gospel to them, saying that eternal life is found in the seed of the woman, that is, the Christ to come. And this gospel, this first gospel message in the Old Testament, in chapter 3 of Genesis, is in seed form. 
As we'll see, this progresses over the history of redemption so that people understand that Jesus is the seed of the woman. Now, in the post-fallen world of the Old Testament, the same pattern emerges. God speaks to his people, but speaks to them very specifically about the covenant, or rather the project of redemption, often in the form of covenants. So God speaks to whom? He speaks to Noah, to Abraham, to Moses, about the different covenant relationships in which he was entering with them. God also spoke to his prophets, who then spoke to the people about these covenants, the law of God related to these covenants, and the gospel also related to these covenants. So yes, God used theophanies, visible appearances of God, He uses other miraculous signs and wonders and even angels to work among his people and communicate to them. But God's speech through human prophets becomes the norm of the Old Testament, says the author of Hebrews right here. God spoke to our fathers through the prophets. That's how he summarizes this uh, different era in which he spoke. But God is still speaking today, and he argues that the visual has taken a back seat to the auditory. So what does the author go on to say? He says very clearly that God still speaks today, and this is primary. Hebrews 2.1 Therefore, we must pay uh, much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Heard what? Word of God. Hebrews 3 Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says... Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. Hebrews 4.12 For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The word of God is living, it is active, it's not just speech. Not just human speech. It is alive by the power of the Holy Spirit. Hebrews 5.11 About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you become dull of hearing. Hearing what? The Word of God. And finally, Hebrews 12. You've come to the heavenly Jerusalem, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will he escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. So to repeat, the main thrust of Hebrews is to encourage It is to exhort God's people to listen to God through his word. But there's no encouragement, there's no ability to follow that exhortation without hearing the gospel. And that is what is progressively revealed in the history of redemption. And the author of Hebrews makes this clear when he compares the Old Testament times long ago and the present day, which he calls the last days. God has spoken in both eras, But the character of his speech has changed in the last days. Why? Because of the work of Christ, the finished work of Christ. And one important change relates to visual signs and wonders. They have faded away with the finished work of Christ. 
Now, in our own particular day, it is often assumed that the visual is essential. So it's hardly enough to have the audio. That's nice. But the feeling is you need to add the visual. The visual seems, after all, more exciting and better than the audio. It is believed that the visual makes things better not only for entertainment purposes, but for educational and religious purposes. And that belief has seeped into theology. Many believe that the best and most profound times in the Bible are the times in which God reveals himself in, say, storm theophanies, or when he sends fire down from heaven, or when he makes an axe head float. And today, people believe that in the church, the greatest impact in the lives of people can be made through visual images that we have mentioned already, pictures, videos, whatever. And to be sure, these images are very powerful. But they are out of place in the worship service, in divine worship. Why? The visual in the scriptures is linked theologically to what God was doing at a particular time, but now the visual is second place to the audio because of the progress of redemption and the fulfillment of Christ's work. So notice, when the world fell into sin, what happened? God appears in a storm theophany. There's a visual link or marker to this great redemptive event. That is, after they hear the gospel. When God made the covenant with Abraham, God appeared through fire in the pitch darkness. When God made the covenant with Israel through Moses, God appeared at the top of Mount Sinai Howl. Yes, his speech, his voice was terrifying, but also he appeared in thunder, in lightning. Smoke. These are all visual things. In each of these instances, the visual signs and wonders point to the substance of the event. Furthermore, they always look forward in time to the fulfillment of the Messiah. Because Christ came and finished his work uh, with attending signs and wonders, the signs and wonders are no longer needed. That is, the signs and wonders had their place when Jesus came into time and space, and now they don't. So all the signs that attended Christ's life and work, the star that appeared in the sky, the Holy Spirit ascending on him in the form of a dove, and the tombs breaking open after his death and resurrection, pointed to the significance of his life, right? Time had progressed and found its fullness in Christ. So all of these signs, which there are many, the raising of the dead, the healing of the sick, Incredible signs. They function to point to Christ in his person. The signs themselves are not the point. No, they serve as markers that God's revelation was progressing and hit, hit a high point with the advent and work of Christ. When Christ ascended to heaven, the signs began to fade away, right? And were gone by the time of the close of the apostolic age. Therefore, when Christ came into time and space, he fulfilled God's plan and began the last days, in which the spoken word of God would take priority. As Hebrews records in 9.26, Jesus has appeared at the end of the ages. Likewise, Peter says that Jesus was made manifest in the last times for your sake. So the last 
times here, the last days, the end of the age, are not uh, supposedly these days right before Jesus comes. Rather, they are the days that began with Jesus' ascension into heaven, and they will end when Christ returns. The author of Hebrews is making the point that God still speaks in these last days, but in a different way from the prior era. Signs, wonders, and direct revelation to prophets are no longer needed because Jesus is the final revelation. That's why we deny these special signs and wonders today, these impressions, God speaking to people. God doesn't need to do that any longer. The author of Hebrews says, Jesus Christ is the final revelation of God. He used to work in that way. It had a place to ordain prophets. But today, not everybody gets a special word from God. You get the special word from God here in church, God says. That's about Christ. And that is precisely what the author of Hebrews is doing here in this letter. This crazy letter that's really much more like a sermon. He's preaching Christ. So when Christ appeared... He appeared as a radiance of the glory of God, an exact imprint of His nature. If you wish to hear something powerful, this is what you hear about. Yes, Jesus came as a man, as flesh and blood that could be seen and touched, but this visual aspect alone was not the point. The point was that God became man who could work and speak to reveal God's very nature. I mean, think of that. Jesus Christ reveals the nature, the essence of God. If you wish to know God, you must listen to Christ. There's nothing higher than that, is there? To hear about God, the Creator, the Sustainer, the Redeemer. And Jesus Christ Himself and His person and His work reveals all those aspects. But a little more specifically, what does it mean exactly that Jesus reveals God's nature through his work and speech? Well, God's nature is understood through his attributes, right? And you can't see or touch God's nature, but you can hear about God's nature and God's attributes or qualities. Jesus expresses God's attributes through his work on earth and in heaven. And this word is that which strengthens you and gives you comfort in this world that often seems completely out of control. So, of course, since we're visual, tactile people, we always want some sort of uh, thing or vision or whatever that gives us comfort. But God says, no, that's not it primarily. There are many wonderful things in this creation, visual, physical things that you need, food, a hug, whatever it is. But God says, ultimately, He sustains His church through His spoken word. That is the greatest comfort for you, brothers and sisters. God preaches life and He preaches strength and preaches faith into you through His spoken word. So as you hear about Christ and His power, His rule and grace, you derive real strength, fortitude, and comfort. And this is exactly what the author of Hebrews is preaching about as he talks about Christ, the creator and sustainer, Christ, the redeemer, and Christ, the ruler. So he says that Jesus Christ is God, the creator and sustainer. The second person of the Trinity was also at work at the creation. 
So the Father created the world through Christ. The world and the universe hold together and function by the word of Christ's power. As the Father spoke things into existence and sustained them, so did Christ. As God's wisdom was revealed in the creation according to Proverbs 8, so is Jesus the very expression of the wisdom of God. And Christ is God the Redeemer. Christ, the author says, has made purification for sins. The people whom Christ created rebelled against Him so that Christ Himself had to become a creature in order to take your place. God's love and grace are spoken clearly in the Son's death. God preaches to the world that Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God, slain for sinners who deserve His wrath. And of course, this becomes one of the main themes, as you'll see in this sermon to the Hebrews. Christ's redeeming love, His sacrifice. And finally, Christ is God the ruler. The Old Testament saints knew that God ruled them and the world But now in the last days, it becomes clear that he rules the church and the universe through Jesus Christ. So the author says, God has appointed Jesus heir of all things. The Old Testament folk knew that God was the heir, the ruler of all things. Psalm 2.8 God says, I will make the nations your heritage, he says to his king, and the ends of the earth your possession. Christ fulfills that. According to Hebrews 2.5, it is now not only the nations, but the entire universe, which is His, and His is the world to come. Christ rules the universe. It's easy for Him. So what is it to rule His church? It's nothing. Christ is sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, that is, the right hand of the Father. This is also spoken about in times past the fathers, through the prophets. Psalm 110. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The significance of the exaltation of the Son is that He is better, He is higher than the angels since He has a better name than they. Of course, that name is, is Jesus, the Son of God. Paul says in Philippians 2, Therefore God has exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Brothers and sisters, the spoken word of Christ in preaching is a way in which God speaks today. This is His ordained means of encouraging you and giving you comfort. The spoken word, the preached word, is powerful medicine. I mean, think of it this way, kids. You know you find comfort from your parents when they hug you, when you get to sit in their laps, when uh, they tuck you in at night, especially great when they think you're asleep and you're really not. But you get real encouragement, ultimate encouragement, when they speak to you, when they whisper in your ear, I love you, I would die for you. Well, Christ has already died for you. And now has risen. And from this exalted place, Christ speaks to you about His love for you, which was in place before the world began. That love about which He speaks in His Word is centered at the cross and continues right now in his, this Word until the final age when you will actually see Jesus face to face. In conclusion, 
Christianity is a religion of the spoken word. Visual media are good and have their place, but pale in comparison to God's spoken word in the scriptures. God has spoken throughout the history of redemption, which has progressed to the point of revealing that the seed of the woman is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The scriptures and the preaching of the scriptures must be about Christ and Him crucified. Why? Because God said so. But also, hearing the word of Christ comforts the weak, comforts the weary, and the sinful until the final day. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.